0: You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC.
1: Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Faith and Other Oddities, the show where Emily and I read the Bible, and talk about it, and uh, <laughs> then hopefully people listen. Hope you're enjoying it out there.
0: We've been doing this how long, and we still don't have our intro down? <laughs>
1: no, I I have no idea how to. I mean, we are professionals and all, but right?
0: Sure, right.
1: I mean, I guess professional would yeah. imply we make our living doing this, but we... No, this so, is
0: how we keep ourselves out of trouble with our semi- spouses.
1: Semi-pro, <laughs> semi-pro podcast league, I guess, is where we're at.
0: Yeah, I actually saw a meme that um, Joshua Sherman's wife posted, and it's like, you know, any topic I'm uh, that I love and unsuspecting people, and it was coffee cup pouring a lot into a little bitty thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So this is how we keep our spouses from being overwhelmed with all of this. So,
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, Mickey really enjoys it when we get a chance to, when she and I actually get a chance to talk. I mean, there's a, there's, there's not a lot of, uh, um, uh,
0: Fine, rub it in. Well, just, I'm just <laughs> saying there's not a lot
1: of, uh, open, uh, space on our sound landscape here at the house, as it were, there's a, it's pretty full. Yeah.
0: With the children
1: and everything. Yeah, two, two children. Yeah. We've got, uh, yeah. Gosh, how are six and eight right now? So other oh, talky. uh, they are, they are quite chatty. Uh, they're great, but,
0: but- they have intelligent conversations. They are not like the kids that you just like, can you please be quiet? And I know you aren't supposed to admit that, that, you know, you feel that way about kids ever, but you know, I don't have those conversations with your kids. So. I no,
1: know. no, they're, they're pretty good. And they, they, uh, there's a lot of singing in our house too. So that's, that fills imagine up that. a lot of the space. Yeah. You might imagine there's music <laughs> in our house. Um,
0: Everywhere. So. <laughs> so. Yeah, so if you're ever on the phone with Nathan, one of the things you're going to hear in the background is the the guitar. Um, And evidently with me, you're going to hear the puppy. Apparently. (laughs) One moment.
1: (laughs) So, yeah. What's he doing now?
0: Uh, Evidently it's time to go outside, so we're going to let him outside.
1: And fortunately, you're right there by the back door. (laughs) So it works.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In a minute, he's going to bark for me to let him back in. So, um, okay. Well, you know, Hey, I'm not even going to
1: say, I'm not even going (laughs) to cut that. We're just going to leave it in. So, um, so life, yeah, that's, that's life. And the, the other part of our life is, uh, is apparently, uh, talking about the Bible. So let's, (laughs) let's get back to that.
0: Okay. So we're, we're in second Samuel still, we're still in chapter 21. Uh, you know, we're going to just draw this out as much as possible. Um, But we had just finished up, we were talking last week about Rizpah. Uh, She was the mother of five of these children who were killed. I'm sorry, was it five or two? Anyway, her kids were among the ones that David had given over to the Gibeonites to be killed because Saul had killed the Gibeonites. And we were talking about the potential of what that can mean What's going on here? And, um, actually Greg, uh, he's in the paddle store. He, he's kind of picking up on some themes. And it's always fun when people are like, okay, here's what I think. And trying to, to, um, you know, bring some stuff to the conversation. And I had to be like, don't steal my thunder. But anyway, <laughs> um, so you know, we, we have smart listeners. I mean, let's just, let's just be honest. we get some really great people who, who ask really good questions and I could make a list by one. Yeah.
1: On. And they do a good job of keeping us in line too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and we, we need that. I mean, whether we want to admit it or not, but. And not just uh, us, everyone.
1: <laughs> moving on.
0: But maybe particularly us anyway. Uh, but Bergen had said that, that RizPev was the, um, perhaps the supreme expression of maternal loyalty in the Bible because she had stayed out there and she had made sure that the birds and the beast had not desecrated the bodies any further. I mean, it was already bad enough. They'd been left hanging. Um, and we talked about how the, the point was to preserve the bones because the bones in that society, that's the important part. I mean, when you're living in that kind of um, just climate, then what you're looking at is bodies that that break down very quickly, just because of the heat and it, the springtime with the moisture, or whatever, the decomposition process is very quick, and so this is the reason why we have bones now um, the um, we do know that the rain comes, and this is uh, trying to find my verse number because uh, I had already to uh, oh yes, she stays there until the rain comes, and we aren't told exactly when the rain comes um. Did she stay there until the famine stopped with the arrival of the rains? Uh, are these the autumn rains? Because that would have been late September. She, The the kids or the boys were killed in April, which is the early part of the barley harvest. Um, so was she there for months? Or was she there with some unexpected, uh, kind of unusual uh, rain after the beginning of the spring? Because in Israel... After April, there's not a lot of rain between April and September. And so the rain is kind of a, an important clue as to the timeline, but we, we don't know. And there's a reason why there's a question here. So we're going to keep going and we're going to talk about what the question is. Um, so anyway, verse 11 is where we're going to pick up. When David was told that Rizpah, Rizpah the daughter of aya the concubine of Saul had done. David went and took the bones of Saul and Jonathan from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the public square of Beth- Bethshon, where the Philistines had hanged them on the day the Philistines killed Saul at Gilboa. So David, he's completely aware of what Rizvah is doing. He understands the magnitude of this action. Um, you know, he realizes what a risk she's taking by being out there. And um, this moves him. He, he decides now is something to be done. And, you know, he's touched by the dedication and devotion she has for her sons and even her uh, her step-grandsons or half-grandsons. And, you know, maybe he remembers his time in Saul's court. There's a good chance that Rispa may have actually been there. David might have known this woman. And I think sometimes we forget that there are those connections in place. This is not just somebody random stepping onto the scene. This is somebody who was part of David's daily life for a number of years. Or, you know, even if she wasn't directly connected to David, she would have been in those circles. Mm -hmm. And so he would have been aware of her. Um, But what David decides to do here is really weird uh, because he goes and gets Saul and Jonathan's bones. It's like Rizba's out with these seven kids who are guys who had been killed, and he goes and gets Saul and Jonathan's bones. And if you remember at the end of 1 Samuel, um, Saul and Jonathan were killed by the Philistines. Saul had killed himself. He'd fallen on the sword. And the bodies were gathered up. They were fastened to the wall at Bethshan, And that's a Philistine city. And early in Saul's reign, you gotta go even back further to the beginning of 1 Samuel. One of the first things that Saul did and one of the, the very best things that Saul did was he saved the city of Jabesh Gilead. And it was that, that demonstration that he was, in fact, the king over all of Israel, that even the outline, the very, you know, the border towns were still going to be protected by the king of Israel, who was going to bring the entire army to save everyone. There wasn't going to be, you know, any town left behind. uh, Ha ha. But um, so the men of Jabesh Gilead, when they heard what had happened to Saul and Jonathan's bodies, they had gone gotten the bodies because they weren't going to let them be violated this way. And then they burned the bodies and they burned the bodies supposedly with the intent and, you know, assumably, presumably uh, with the intent to um, keep the bodies from being desecrated in the future. And so a few of the commentators, they said, you know, David could not have possibly gone and gotten the, the bones of, of Saul and Jonathan because they were burned. Okay. I'm going to, you know, all the props for these guys for being smart when it comes to language and culture of the Bible. They do not understand the basic science behind burning a body, okay? And because of some really weird experiences in my past, I actually know a little bit. So one of the things that we need to remember, a simple bonfire is not enough to burn a body. You can burn the flesh, you might even get some of the outer layers, you might get into the muscle, but you're not going to burn the bones. It takes approximately 1800 degrees Fahrenheit to start breaking down the bones, and that's over a period of like three to four hours. This is not something that happens easily. So unless you have an oven built specifically for cremation, you're not going to begin to even break down the bones. As a matter of fact, when in the process of cremation. Uh, with in today's commercial uh, settings, the bones themselves are not even broken down. They actually run them through a grinder, and this is the reason why you don't get your loved ones' ashes back. You actually get the cremains back. That's the technical term because the bones will not break down in that, even that kind of heat. And so, yes, they did have the technology to manufacture this kind of heat back then because they are. We're talking iron, bronze, you know, this stuff is being worked at this point in time. So they can generate that kind of uh, heat with the right kilns and stuff. But it's not likely that at that point in time that they actually took time to do that with the bodies. So it was very possible this is not some kind of mistake. David completely could have gone and gotten the bones of Jonathan and Saul. So you know, when you're reading commentaries, one of the things you do need to keep in mind is not everybody is an expert in everything. Sure. You know, I mean, they, they sometimes we have this tendency to jump to conclusions about things we don't understand. And You know, these guys, they're smart. I'm not I'm not saying they're not. I, I don't want to take away from what they do know. But, you know, evidently they had not had any kind of experience with this sort of thing. And so, um, we, you want to kind of sometimes step back, even from your most trusted commentators and and double check some of the information if it's not necessarily in their field of expertise, uh, especially. So, um, David chooses this time to move them. We're in verse 14 and it says, and they buried the bones of of Saul and his son, Jonathan in the land of Zela and in the tomb of Kish, his father. And they did all that the king commanded and the other. And after that, God responded to the plea for the land. So Zamora says presumably the bones of the seven young men that were killed were also buried in the family tomb. Uh, It almost has to mean that if it's going to have any connection to the original story. And so the problem with this story is, on the surface, it makes almost no sense. And, you know... One of the really bad habits that I found Bible readers fall into, especially if you have that commitment to the Bible being completely true and accurate, is you'll read something like this and you'll go, okay, that's what happened. And I think sometimes it's really good to step back from the story itself and to actually look at it as if you don't have any vested interest in the story being true or correct and to actually read it as if it's something completely foreign. If you read this as a newspaper story, what would you say about this? What are the pieces of the puzzle you'd be looking at, and how would you be trying to put it together? Because, you know, first of all, we have this this three-year famine, and I just kind of want to recap. We have this three-year famine, and we're not told specifically why or when this happened in David's reign. Uh, We have uh, God citing Saul's violence against the Gibeonites without any kind of clarification, and we aren't told, you know, when this happened in Saul's reign. What was the event?
1: Well, and I do have a question. I do have a question about that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious because we were talking about like David's guilt. Is it's because I was curious about that? Is there a question? Is there there possibility that maybe David was involved in that campaign?
0: If it happened before, no. uh, Yes. If it, if it was no, then no. If okay. it happened after that, then no. So, but that's the problem. We, we don't have any indication of when this happened. Like I said, Zamora uh, suggests that happens before David takes the throne. Um, I, I don't know. And there, there's, this is where we have to look at what is it trying to communicate. And I think what we're having to look at, this is not necessarily trying to tell us a historical event. It's using a historical event to tell us a theological Mm -hmm. event. Right. And so there is some theology here, and we're going to see some more of it as we get into chapter 24 and look how this story works off of that end story and the chiasm. Remember, this is part of a chiasm, and this is our beginning, and then we're going to look at the end. And so we got to bring those two stories together. And there's actually two more stories that play into how we need to understand this. So we're going to have to do some jumping back into Israel's history even further to understand exactly what's going on here. Right. And, you know, so we're going to be talking about this for a while, which, you know, these are the things that make me happy. Um, we're also not chose, uh, told, was it correct for David to choose which one of um, Saul's, uh, descendants to to have killed. There there's some issues with this because if you look at uh, the Gemara, you look at the, the Talmud, and you look at how this is um, put forward. Choosing someone to be killed is kind of a big no no. No, no. You know you don't do it unless you have a specific reason to enforce a, a death penalty. Mm-hmm. And so even like if you are told, you know, there's an invader and they have, you know, one of the great things about the Talmud is they give you all these examples. If there's an invader coming to your city and they say, okay, well, if you give us four men to kill, if they don't specify which four men and why, then you aren't supposed to give them anyone. Because the point is, you don't get to choose. Now, if they came in and said, hey, we want these four men and this is why, now there's some gray area, and that's where the debate really gets hot, is do we actually allow you know these specific four men to be turned over? Because if you don't, then they're dead anyway, and you're dead too, so is it better to save your life and go ahead and sacrifice the life that's going to be lost? One moment, we have a puppy.
1: Yeah, well, and yeah, I, I have, I mean, there's, again, just a, a ton of questions, and I think it's interesting— because it talks about David went to inquire, inquire before the Lord about why there was a famine. Then he says there was blood guilt. And then it says, and then David went to talk to the Gibeonites. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, shouldn't you kept talking to God about maybe what to do?
0: <laughs> well, and, and that's the problem. I mean, okay, so often, and we're going to see how this becomes an issue later on in the story. We're only given the pieces of the conversation the writer thinks we need to have. Sure. And there's this this general assumption that you kind of know the story, you kind of know the background, and so um, I thought we had a puppy earlier. We didn't. Now he's here.
1: Okay, but uh, yeah. So that's that's a good point too. But I Doctor. am very <laughs> <laughs> welcome oh. to my world. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: Just had to go and get a dog. I know. I know. But it it, okay. it does seem kind of like. Once David found out, like, what the problem was, he went asking the wrong source for the solution.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, th- this is what I think really tips it over, because if God had said, hey, David, no, don't do this, we'd have an issue. But at the end of the story, you know...
1: God sends rain. God,
0: yeah. Well, it, it says specifically, even more important than the rain, uh, it says that... Um, he responded to the pleas for the land. And so there, there's this, this really interesting thing where God is responding to what's going on. Because the, the rain, this is, was the rain judgment. Because if it's in the barley harvest, then it's at the wrong point in time. The barley harvest, you don't want rain. And a matter of fact, earlier in, in 1 Samuel, when um, Samuel was having a standoff with the people, he called down rain during, I believe it was the wheat harvest, to show judgment. Mm-hmm. So rain can be a judgment if it is at the wrong time. And so there's a possibility that the rain, and if you look at the wording, it actually um, connects back to the seventh plague in, in Egypt. You have some of the same wording there. There's this idea, and that was uh, the seventh plague, by the way, was the hail with the fire mm-hmm, and the, mm-hmm. the rain. And so you, this it's the same, same words there. And so there's a possibility that this isn't just a rain, this is an angry rain. And so that may have been the judgment for this action yeah. that kind of gets downplayed. But then when David does respect the bodies properly, now... God responds to the police of the yeah land.
1: I, and yeah and that is a good point because I have seen uh some various harvests ruined here in Oklahoma because there's so much rain that they, they just can't get to it you know uh, well
0: how often or, have we you know been hauling hay and you know you see the thunderstorm st- cloud, clouds over the horizon and you're just doing everything to get it off the field yeah before, just get it
1: in the barn as quick as you can yeah,
0: yeah. hey i lucky a, we weren't killed yeah
1: I have a question for you is the puppy by chance playing around on at the bottom of oh. your table <laughs>
0: He's chewing on the leg. Uh,
1: Because I can, it's, it's, uh, it's coming through your microphone. So if anyone's been hearing, hopefully I can get some of that out in post, (laughs) but I've been hearing it like in my, in my headphones.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He was like literally on the leg that the microphone is right above. So, um, yeah, so there, there's this, this possibility. And I kind of think that's one of the answers is that the rain is actually the judgment against the the death of the gibeonite uh, sorry the death of Saul's children and it's only when David comes back and offers the proper respect to the family that we have the the response to the pleas for the land and what is interesting is that there was still an issue that needed to be addressed don't get me wrong because God specifically had sent the famine um there was uh that conversation where David says you know you, what's going on? And God says there's blood guilt. So there has to be some kind of atonement made. Mm -hmm. And that's still, so, you know, even my solution that I kind of like doesn't answer all the questions, but we're going to get more into that with like, so chapter 24, because when you do have that chiasm, you have to be sure and let those, those stories play off of each other, or you're not going to get all the information. So, um, now, I do think that we are supposed to be bothered by the story. I think that this is not a story that we're supposed to just, you know, okay, David took care of it. You know, you aren't supposed to, to just keep reading as if it's no big deal. I think you're supposed to be moved by Arisba. I think that's the reason why she was included, is that she, she does present this very sympathetic character in a story where otherwise everybody's just making horrible decisions. Mm-hmm. And so you're supposed to see her as, as someone that you can pause in the middle of that story and say hey this is this is how I would be this is where I would be in the moment and um you know the writer's really good about that, and so then you've got this you know like I said, God responding, and it's it's just messed up the whole story is just so crazy and you know and we need to remember that the basis of the story is Saul breaking that bow to the Gibeonites where you know they were supposed to have a place in the land and so they the idea that Saul was going to drive them out and there's provision we need to remember in the Torah there is provision for the people who are not Israelites to live in the land and so um Anyway, um, 1 Samuel twenty four uh we need to remember that David had made the con- the the promise. This is where I'm trying to get to. I'm sorry, it's just crazy this morning. I'm not set up where I'm normal normally am, and uh, it's making uh, the animals weird. So First Samuel twenty four, we've got to remember too. That's where David made that vow to Saul. Uh, to yeah, Saul and Jonathan. That he says he would not cut off their offspring or destroy Saul's name out of his father's house. So it looks like you know not only did Saul violate an oath, David is violating an oath. He's only barely managing to keep it technically by allowing um, Mephibosheth to to stay alive. Right. And you know, and this is the reason why Brigham. Uh, and a few other commentators, but particularly Brigham, says that David is using this as an excuse to clean house basically and to get rid of anybody who might accidentally have a claim to the throne. You know, any potential heirs are just being removed. And so. The advantage of that view is that it really makes sense of Shimei's cursing David. Remember when David had fled from Jerusalem, Shimei came out and started cursing David and saying, hey, you know, you killed everyone in Saul's household. And up till that point in the book of Samuel, we had no evidence that David had killed anyone in Saul's household. And so um, that, that does hold a little bit of legitimacy as far as timing. Um, now there is really no good reason to see why God would reward these events though. That's, that's the the problem. And that's where the, the, the real issue, um, the issue for this whole scenario comes in. So anyway, since it is part of a chiasm, let's go ahead and go over to chapter 24. Let's look at what's going on. Let me let the other dog in
1: well, I, another question I had too, and i don't know I, I don't know if I just tuned out at some point we, if you've mentioned this before, <laughs> but is there any tie that we know of back to Abraham keeping the birds off of the animals
0: Not that I'm aware of it, although it would seem that there might be something there and i I may need to look that up while we go through the next bit of the story because um. I hadn't thought about that, honestly. So that that was one so. of the things
1: because you tied it back to David, you know, keeping the bears and and lions mm-hmm. and other critters away. But that Abraham, that that's what I thought of when you said she kept the birds of the air away from them.
0: And I, I that is a really good tie-in because it does. Those are kind of two unique times within Scripture. You don't find that very often. I I can't think of any other events where that happens, So I would need to go back and research that. And I will try to remember to do that because uh, that could provide some interesting insights. And, you know, and that's the thing, you know, not every rabbit trail you go down is going to, to make sense. Um, Not all of them are going to pan out and give you any great insight, but I think you've got to be willing to take the journey. And you know me, I'm always ready to, to look for a potential rabbit trail wherever I can find it. Yeah. So and,
1: and we're and you know and we're okay being wrong. We've it's happened many times. <laughs> I mean, just just a couple. We're we're just you know we're not okay <laughs> staying wrong. You know that's that's the right. that's the key.
0: <laughs> there you go, there you go. So okay, we're gonna pick up in chapter twenty four. Uh, this is verse one. It says again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. Okay, so two things to note, because this is a popular story. This is one of those stories that Bible critics love to pull out, because it's told twice. We have it here in 1 Samuel 24. We have it again in 1 Chronicles 21. And they're not the same. Okay, let's, ju- let's just be honest. They're not the same. We're going to talk about the differences. But um, Because it is a popular story, and it's one of those stories that does get tossed around a lot. People think they know it, okay? I thought I knew it. The first thing we need to note is it starts out with the word again. So God is mad at Israel again. Notice, once again, we are not told why. We're not told what's going on. We just know, much like when chapter 21, where there's this unexplained famine, we also have this really weird, you know, anger of God, and we don't know why. But we need to understand the anger is not at David. Read what it says. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Okay, that's who he's mad at, not David. And a lot of people think this story is about God being angry at David. In fact, what God does is incite David. So God is the one who stirs David up to make this move. Okay, now, um, this is the problem. Our first problem here is in First Chronicles, it says, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Now, there is this whole movement out there that will go, aha, that shows you that God and Satan are the same. And, okay, that's crap, okay? And let's just get that.
1: (laughs) One of those good (laughs) theological terms.
0: Right, right. Well, it's actually toned down from the technical one, but I didn't want to, you know, blow people's mind. Uh, So, (laughs) now... We've got several things going on here. Let, let's just begin with the fact that Chronicles is a political document. Chronicles is designed to get the people in exile to look back with nostalgia and longing for the golden years of Israel. It, it, the the design is to make you want to be a part of David's kingdom. And so almost everything the chronicler writes is positive about David. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's our first thing we need to remember. The chronicler leaves out those things like, you know, David and Bathsheba, Uriah's death, because those don't look so good. But at this point in time, the chronicler is getting ready to tell us a different story. And, um, he, he's tweaked his story to fit his agenda, but there's going to be some interesting things that he doesn't tweak. And so you're going to have to kind of follow uh, along with me to, to stay there. So the most notable tweak here is that he omits the name of the Lord. That's the Tetragrammaton and he substitutes Satan. Okay. The second,
1: is, we're going to get back. I, uh, is it, is it, is it, <laughs> Uh, Satan, or is it the Satan in the Hebrew? I'm, that's something I'm curious we're about. We're going to come
0: back to that, actually. But
1: I need to know! <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so, yeah, well, we're going to come back to that, because I want to I make a couple of notations, and then we're, gonna, we're just going to dive in there. Uh, so, the second thing is that the chronicler omits the reference to Judah where the Samuel includes that you see the beginnings mm-hmm. of the division and Samuel, the chronicler wants to present a unified nation. Okay. This is a great nation there's unity. And so we don't note the Israel and Judah. It's just Israel. Uh, no, no suggestion of division. Uh, Evidently I'm on the thoroughfare for the critters. Uh, so, um, Now, you're gonna have to have a staff
1: meeting later. I know. During these uh, times,
0: (laughs) you just gotta stay put. So, what's really weird above and beyond any of the tweaks is that the chronicler decides that despite the fact that this story does not reflect David in a good light, it's still so important that it has to be included. So, that's the first thing you need to know. This is an important story that even though it doesn't fit, the chronicler said I still need it because it's all about the building of the temple and the temple is so central to the identity of Israel that they could not leave this out and provide us that that you know grand sweeping drama that is David's life so to to omit this story would be almost on the same level as omitting you know Moses and the burning bush you you just don't do this sure and um so The challenge for the Chronicler is to figure out how to faithfully incorporate it without compromising his mission and message as a writer. So the first question we got to answer is, how do we reconcile the stark contrast of the Lord and Satan? Okay. It's not that complicated. I know. I like (laughs) like, Even I know
1: this one, or at least I know a solution to this one
0: you know a solution i'm, I'm going to tell you right now your solution's wrong uh it is not ha satan i wish it was i mean it's just like boom done i mean we we don't even have to to go any further it does just say satan um so uh at the time that chronicles and samuel were written satan is still not a proper name people okay right it, it's just not there Satan is a term, it's a role, it's a function, not the essence or the moral fiber of the being. It's It's a verb. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we're probably most familiar with this from the book of Job. You know, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and the Satan was with them. A Satan, the Satan, ha Satan, what you were talking about. This is where you were going with it. And we all know proper names don't have the Attached to the beginning of them, I'm not the Emily or the Nathan, although I might aspire to be the Emily. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other ego trip. I, we don't <laughs> we don't need to go on. Um, but you know, he is among the sons of God. He's part of the divine council. If we're talking about the the you know the wicked, evil adversary of God, then what's he doing in heaven? I mean, you've got a whole lot of theological hoops and, and Twisting and you know things that would melt your brain if you're honest. Well, if you want to put,
1: I I know (laughs) I was I was actually thinking about that the other day. I'm like that to to deny this the whole to to like completely just leave out the whole divine council worldview. Mm -hmm. uh, To to make it like the condemned evil Satan, like the divine Mm -hmm. rebel character, to make it that character in Job brings up way more theological problems than just the simple solution of, hey, you know what? Other people exist in the spiritual world. (laughs) It's not not just humans and God and a couple angels that sit around singing all the time.
0: You know, I don't know any scholar who actually says that this is Satan as we personify him today. And so, you know, we do this—functions become names. Sure. We can see this with so many last names. I mean, good grief, Smith. Somebody Cooper, <laughs> Fletcher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's right there. It's in the name. A function became a name. And so that's just the way language works. And we shouldn't be surprised. And so, and this is not the only time we see it. Uh, back in Numbers 22, this is when Balaam is trying to go deliver the prophecy. And, you know, he's got the talking donkey. Everybody knows the story. And it says the angel of the Lord was in Balaam's way. He was acting as a Satan. Again, it doesn't have that that hay attached to the front of it. It just it's a Satan. So in two passages or in this passage we of Numbers, we have the angel of the Lord unambiguously identified as a Satan. Is the angel of the Lord Satan? No, that's crazy theology. Don't even go there. Okay. But he has <laughs> so, the
1: ability to oppose. <laughs>
0: yes because satan just means adversary so he or accuser and so the angel of the lord has the ability to stand up and be an adversary to those who are not doing what god wants them to do hey it's that simple and so what is the lord in samuel or satan in chronicles doing opposing the people why because god's mad at them again So he's acting as an adversary to people who are not following his plan. And so another aspect of this to keep in mind is uh, that this is a story of judgment. Okay? The people had done something that made God mad. We know what happened. So we went through judges. We went through judges together. And what happens? When Israel gets out of line, God raises up an adversary, some kind of enemy, some kind of power to bring judgment and discipline to the nation. Mm -hmm. So this is what's going on here. And this makes complete sense. And when we remember this isn't a judgment against David. That's not where we began. This is a judgment against the nation. Now it's not some outsider coming in. This is God saying part of the function as a king is to make sure that the people stay in line. So if we play really close attention to the wording, he incited David against Israel and Judah, or just Jude, uh, Israel. So it is the same wording that we find back in Judges. And so again, this is not, this is not, oh no, my theology is ruined and God is Satan and the angel of the Lord is Satan. This is God saying, hey, you know what? You get out of line, I get to act like a dad because that's who I am. I right. It's that simple. So right. and, um, and
1: and the well and 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 not using the actual vocabulary and not using the actual understanding of, of Satan as a function it really mm-hmm. lends itself to a lot of really bad theology in general. I mean, think of the popular uh the, the popular theology right now is that's I mean, is that Satan runs hell. You know, that yeah. that yeah. it it really <laughs> you know, the it's this character that he's been made larger than life because it's mm-hmm. he's actually kind of this central figure. I mean, granted, there is kind of this divine rebel figure, but I don't believe he runs this unified evil kingdom, <laughs> right? it's it, you know he's not like some kind of corporate executive running all this stuff. I mean, it's
0: are you sure? I've seen I, I've seen the shows. You know, I I've I watched Supernatural. I, I even caught a few episodes of Lucifer just to see what people were saying, and, and the way we've characterized. Caricaturized, caricaturized. Yes, exactly. It's very. Oh my gosh, it's so messed up. This guy did not win anything. Yes, he's evil. Yes, he's smart. Yes, he's intelligent. Let let us be honest about that. And and he exists, but he exists not as we have pictured him, and he's not somehow. um, (laughs) He's not somehow God's equal. You know, there's there's no cosmic duel going on here god wins god has won.
1: yeah it and was, it was so, never a question and you know and actually uh, on the on the note you you mentioned the show lucifer i remember when it uh, i i actually haven't watched it um uh, i didn't really have much interest don't waste in your it time. but um it was funny to me when uh it, when it first came out there was some you know christian mothers group um who was protesting it because it well, it makes Satan look glamorous. It's like we're basically told in the Bible he's gonna <laughs> appear as glamorous as, as' an angel of light uh you know it the, you're being you're upset because he's being presented <laughs> as something Accurately? that might be that might be appealing uh, you, you know, and that's the problem is that he presents things in the world that are lead to death as appealing, and so it's like we have this. Semi-accurate portrayal of, of someone who's glamorous and slick and could tempt you into things, and not someone who's hideous with a characteristic, you know, horns and a pitchfork, and I don't know. Th- that just frustrates. That's little, my little side rant yeah, okay, there. But so,
0: well, since you brought it up, you know, if we're going to talk about things that that bother us in the portrayal of Satan in pop theology or pop culture, sorry, um, pop theology is similar but not quite the same. Uh, it's this idea that satan just wants to be with his dad and his dad misunderstood him and you know come on he's not a teenager who comes from a dysfunctional home okay that's the the thing that gets me about pop culture's representation well that tells you more about the
1: writers than it does about satan
0: yeah it does and so you know um we really need to look at what the Bible has to say about Satan, which honestly isn't a whole lot. I mean, if you just want to go through and, and read the passages, you can do it in so little time. And when you cut the passages out that aren't referring to Satan, the person or figure, mm-hmm. the divine rebel, then you you don't have much at all, right? And that's how much room he takes up in God's mind. Okay? That's how much space... God feels like he deserves. Yeah. So um, and honestly, okay, and I'm just gonna put this out there. If you spend more time fearing what Satan's up to than being thankful for the things that God is doing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're worshiping the wrong person, the wrong being. Okay. Let let's put that little pointed thing there. And too many Christians are worried about what Satan's up to, and that's a form of worship, guys. Okay, just fearing something. And living your life in constant worry, that's a form of worship. Stop doing it. You need to put your focus back on God and what he's doing. And that is the proper worship, and that's the right worship. And you know what? That brings peace. It doesn't bring anxiety and depression, and it doesn't leave you looking at every news story wondering when the end of the world and when the Antichrist is going to come. And don't waste your time. Do what you're supposed to do. God takes care of that. Okay? Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Well... and. <laughs> well it, it yeah, and it is there there are so many Christians in the world that i I do wonder it's like how I, I see them post all the t- all the time about the things that they fear, the things that the things that they are one hundred percent sure are sins, mortal sins, then uh, oftentimes mm-hmm. they're things that it's just like no I think you're
0: just, you can have you're the candy bar. too much. it's
1: okay yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it, it, it's like i and talking about how much they hate certain theological views and it's like I wish this person would spend as much time talking about things they love as they do about things that they hate because they're certain that they're terrible mortal sins. And we're talking to like theological minutiae mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of a lot of things. And yeah. I'm like, if, if half the Christians in the world loved anything, really, <laughs> as much as this person hates all these things— we, we, the world would be a lot better. and uh, Oh, yeah. So, yeah, let's, let's focus on, you know, what is, what's Paul say? Whatever's good, whatever's pure. You know, focus on well, these things.
0: You know, I'm puppy training right now, and uh, I'm remembering a lot of stuff right, right now, because, you know, if I spend my whole day telling my puppy no, all he's going to do is get to the point where he's going to cower and do nothing. And so, but if I say, no, let's do this instead, Mm-hmm. He's develops confidence he i mean he's he's seven, eight weeks old, and he knows eight tricks, okay because instead of allowing you know sitting there focusing on things he can't do, I'm saying, let's focus on what we can do and I know that's like a really weird example, but it's it's a good life lessons if more people would focus on what we can and should be doing, we don't have to worry we don't have time or energy for the stuff we shouldn't be doing so i mean it, it's very simple to to bring ourselves back to that place of peace and to bring ourselves back to a place where we can have joy mm-hmm. and if you aren't experiencing that then you need to ask yourself where is your focus
1: yeah well and and so exactly well and i, I had a conversation with uh with well not really a conversation tj and i kind of exchanged some comments and stuff <laughs> on the paddle store i i made a joke about uh apparently one of the abandoned uh spacex satellites is on a collision course with the moon and i made a joke that the, oh no this is how we start a war with the moon people you know i obviously right. know there are not people living on the moon um or i'm pretty certain i mean based on the information i've been given all my life um that there's not people living on the moon that are going to start a war with us and this story's getting out of hand uh but <laughs> T- tj uh mentioned that uh, <laughs> he-, he mentioned that in some of the uh other like kind of fringe Christian groups, people are saying, "Oh no, this is how you know a, frag- a fragment of the moon is going to be the the wormwood meteor that poisons the water, and this is the end of the world." And I was like, and I thought I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know, growing up in in the the church we grew up in, mm-hmm. and the, I mean, there was a lot of focus on the end of the world and how everyone was terrified if this is mm-hmm. going to happen any minute. And I, you know, every time the moon was a little bit too red, or every time you saw a shooting star, every time, uh there was a news report about a comet that might get a little bit too close to earth. It was the mm-hmm. end of the world. And it really was, there was a lot of fear growing up in, in that denomination and that, uh, that church. And, yeah. uh, and, and it, it really is. And I was trying to think of a good way to, to really say this. I mean, it's cause I don't want to sound like, Oh God, thank you for making me the way I am like the Pharisees, but it really is. Whenever you get into studying And the stuff we've been focusing on and focusing on God's goodness and his provision, Mm -hmm. yeah, we've been Mm -hmm. looking at a lot of really rough stories to get there, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but we're not focused on the doom and gloom and how much, you know, Jesus is really angry, so he's getting ready to come back and stop all this bad stuff that's going on. That's the message we grew up with. And you're one of the
0: bad things that needs to be
1: stopped. (laughs) is Is it? God hates everything except himself. That was the message we grew up on, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. everything else is sinful, and God mm-hmm. hates every bit of it. And mm-hmm. that was, I mean, if you wanted to condense it and boil it down, the only thing that's good about you is Jesus. The only thing God could delight in is the fact that, you know, you, you, that, that Jesus died for you. That, that, that was it. And, well,
0: and it, it was done not out of true love. It was out of pity.
1: Well, it, it wasn't it was, even done out of pity. It was done out of some kind of moral responsibility to, to fulfill his own prophecies. And that I mean, was—and, and, I mean, I'm sorry. Not wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, I, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying God didn't have a moral responsibility or whatever, but it was—the way that it was presented, it was always, like, some kind of, like, well, now I have to do this because I said I'd do it. It w- was the way that it was presented, and— I'm sorry, I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but, <laughs> uh, you know, when you get to looking at the Bible, what it actually says, like we've been doing, and we we haven't even got to the New Testament, where the good news is, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it, we're, we're seeing God's goodness and provision, and we get to take a, some time and delight in His provision mm-hmm. and His care for his people, and the example he's shown over and over and over again. And um, yeah, it's, it's freeing. You get, to, you get to stop living in this crazy fear that Jesus is coming back, and he's mad at everybody for everything <laughs> because of something that's not your fault, because it's all your fault at the same time, and you'd better hope that when you prayed that prayer, you meant it
0: or that you were one of the ones who was going to have a response to that prayer because, you know, there's a possibility you weren't there. Anyway, we are, we're going to come back to verse two. I'm sorry. (laughs) I I
1: went on a bit of a rant there, but I feel like that's important that we understand God loves people. And that's the reason he came. It wasn't because he was so mad at everything. Right. Um, Right.
0: Well, and, you know, and I really, if this is something that you kind of grew up with that mindset, you know, really check out Carmen Iams' book. Uh, I always forget the title of it. Uh,
1: I believe it's Bearing God's Name or Bearing the yes. Name or something uh, of that th- nature. Yes.
0: So, Carmen Iams. But then also check out Joshua Sherman's Tending Our Nets. Um, you know, th- those are some really good stuff. He just did some stuff on, you know, we're creating the image of God. You mm-hmm. get that little piece of the puzzle. That changes everything, mm-hmm. and then the other thing to um since I mentioned the uh, uh Joshua Sherman's uh Tending Our Nets podcast, also Doug Overmeyer and Tim have done a really cool episode on asking giant questions. So that's just like not related, but check it out. Yeah, I, I so, haven't
1: got a chance to listen to that one yet. Um,
0: it's Tim and Doug. It's always good. I'm so, sure it is. <laughs> I just it
1: just wasn't. Yeah, actually. Two days ago, I was like, oh, I'm all caught up on all the Raven Creek stuff. I've listened to all of it. And I know there's more episodes coming out, but now it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm back in. Start
0: all over again. Yep. <laughs> okay. So verse two. <laughs> okay. Now that we've gone everywhere and everybody's like, get back to the Bible. Uh, well, so... I know, I'm
1: sorry. That's, that, that whole topic <laughs> is just, it's something I have some strong emotions about that, as you might believe. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I think, I think a lot of us who grew up in that environment, and there's a lot of us who did grow up in that environment, uh, kind of feel the same way. So verse two, so the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, by the way, that commander of the army is kind of unique to this section of Samuel. This is not what we have seen before, uh, the way that, uh, job being referred to. So another reason we think this is a different writer. Anyway, to the commander of the army who was with him, go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, and number of the people that I may know the number of the people. So David, once again, he turns to Joab. Uh, Joab says, still his right-hand man, man." from Dan to Beersheba, from the most northern parts of Israel to the most southern uh, point. Matter of fact, there was a bus line, I'm told, I haven't made it to Israel yet, uh, but a bus line that that was one of their slogans was, you know, we go from Dan to Beersheba. So the idea that it encompasses the entire... um, uh, uh, All of Israel. is that what you're trying and to say? Then we—that's <laughs> pretty much yes. Thank you. So then we have another kind of tenuous link to to Job, because remember the Satan in Job, not Joab, Sorry, tenuous link to Job, because we—they're very,
1: they're very similar names. Yeah.
0: So uh, you know, Satan was going around uh, throughout the land. You know that was his job, and so now David is sending Joab out into the land to go throughout the land. And we aren't told why David wants this number. You know, what's the logical reason? Yes, God incited him, but what did David perceive as the the specific reason? Uh, there is a clue in verse 9, And it says that Joab, when he brings back his number, he brings back the number of valiant men who drew the sword. So there's a possibility David's actually numbering the people with the idea of going to war, because the fact that women and children are not included in this number kind of um, makes that very suspect, you know, why, why does we need this? Um, So the idea that he might be amassing an army for some kind of battle, uh, makes sense given verse 9, even though in this verse we aren't given any specifics. Um, The problem with this throughout the book of Samuel and even through the book of Judges is this idea that big armies are always problematic. It's the small armies where God shines through and shows that he is on Israel's side. He's fighting on their behalf. You don't want large armies because large armies actually are presented as a sign of a lack of faith. And so um, the fact that David is now doing this might actually seem to be a lack of faith on his part. And that might be the issue, but we're not told that's the problem and this is the reason why this story is so crazy. one of the reasons why the story is so crazy so verse three but joab said to the king may the lord your god add to the people a hundred times as many as they are while the eyes of my lord the king still see it but why does the lord my king delight in this thing so chronicles also records this conversation but it has a slightly different version so i want to um read what chronicle says this is chronicles first uh, chronicles 21 3 it said but joab said may the lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are so the same opening line and then he says are they not my lord the king all them all of them my lord's servants why then should my, my lord require this why should it be a cause of guilt for israel so the chroniclers has joab being a little bit more pointed. Uh, you—he is the voice of reason in both stories, but there's just that little bit more. Hey, this is going to bring guilt. A little bit more straightforward and blunt uh, in chronicle or, in Chronicles instead of of Samuel. And the word for in Samuel, where he says, "You know, why does my Lord delight in such a thing?" It has that connotation of both delight and desire. You desire it because it's delightful, and the Hebrew just kind of put both those concepts into. Uh, one word, so you can find different translations of that. Uh, But this is more than a strategic payoff, uh, sorry, a strategic move on David's part. There's some kind of emotional payoff in this moment for David, because He's not just doing it because he wants it or sees it as necessary. He's delighting in it. He's desiring it. And Joab, of course, he's going to be the guy who sees right through any kind of justification or reasoning on David's part and say, I really see what's going on here because that's who Joab is. He's always the guy who says, I see what's behind what you're doing, and I'm going to call you on it every time, Um, except for that unfortunate incident with Uriah. So. no,
1: which he still kind of called him out on it um, yeah, after it, the fact it was kind
0: of after the fact, it's kind of this backhanded slap, um so uh now, critics like to use again this discrepancy to prove that, hey, oh, this is why you can't trust the Bible, but is there really a contradiction here that That's my question because you know, think about when you're recounting a conversation you had with somebody from work and you're telling your spouse the, that evening, do you give them every little bit of information or you just tell them, you know, what's important and pertinent to your situation, mm-hmm. your, what's going on with them? And then say you t- recount that same conversation to your boss. Are you going to tell them the same parts of that conversation that you told your spouse or are there going to be some differences? I it, 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 we do this. This is humanity. This is how we communicate. We we transmit relevant information to people who are interested as they need it. Yeah, it it, it unless we're just a big bore, and in that right. kind of well, case,
1: <laughs> well, and it and it's like you know I love I love Heiser's uh like his take on this. I think he I can't remember if he said he wrote a a blog entry on it or 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 what, but it ba- basically broke down the the criteria by which a lot of the critics of the Bible want uh want them to want people to use in order to disprove Mm -hmm. it And he goes by the time you you do the rundown it's like you cannot prove to me that you got married (laughs) right you know you can't you can't tell me that your wedding happened uh Mm -hmm. it's one of those things uh by the time you you actually put it all together
0: you know and and that's the thing i mean a lot of these uh, you know Discrepancies and oh, the Bible contradicts itself. Well, it's only if you want to take humanity out of the equation, right? And and the Bible clearly says humanity is a major piece of the equation. So um, now it it is interesting to note that because Chronicles tends to present David in such a favorable light that the chronicler actually goes out of the way to put the guilt squarely on David. Because some of the ancient commenters, uh, the rabbis and sages, they, they really wanted to shift the guilt away from David. And in Samuel, they actually made Joab the, the bad guy in this, because he's the one who did it. You know, yes, David commanded it, but Joab was the one who carried it out. So it's Joab's fault that all of this happens. But in Chronicles, you, the writer doesn't let David get away with it. He he says, This is David on David. David's the one who's causing all of this. And so the fact that the we have this unfavorable um recount of the story, even more unfavorable than Samuel. And Samuel's not been easy on David. And where Chronicles has. And it's almost like the two books swap positions here. You know, it's it's kind of odd that, you know, Samuel seems to be a little bit more lenient and Chronicles seems, tends to be a little bit more um stringent and so i I just had an image
1: of someone like carrying like you know i know that way they weren't written this way but someone like carrying a stack of papers (laughs) 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 let's put them (laughs) try to get them all in the back in the right order
0: (laughs) yeah well and and, yeah that's almost what it feels like And, and it's crazy because you don't expect this but you know what that actually adds more integrity to the 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 individual books because it would have been so easy for the writer of Samuel to go, hey, David you know David needs to be questionable. We need to present all his flaws. We need to present all the flaws with kingship and the monarchy. And so we're going to make sure everybody knows David's guilty. And the, the book of Chronicles could have said, well, you know, kind of left that wiggle room that the rabbis found in Samuel to say, oh, look, you know, maybe it's not David's fault. Maybe it's Joab that we need to be looking at as the guilty one. And so it's, it's really interesting to me that you have the swap. And if you want to prove that, you know, the, the Bible isn't trustworthy, then why in the world would the writers do this? You know, you, you have to ask that question. What possible reason could they have for kind of changing gears at this moment? The only possibility is they believe this was a faithful recitation of the events as needed to to convey the story to their audience, the important parts of the story to their audience. In this case, David, David messed up. And so I actually I actually like that. Now, the other issue with the story is we're not told why a census is problematic there is no commandment in the bible forbidding a census. Uh, a matter of fact in numbers uh, chapter 1 verse 2 4-2, or four, two, four, 22 26-2, we have god commanding moses to take a census. uh you know it, it's it's right there. a uh, matter of fact the book of numbers is called numbers why because the whole book is about numbering the people. right. And so you know This is a really problematic thing that the census is an issue. Um, Most commentators think the issue with David's census is for one of two reasons or some combination of them is that uh, God did command uh, David to, God didn't command David to take the census. Yes, he incited him, but he didn't command it where God had specifically told Moses that yes, you need to do this right now. Um, now we're getting into some sticky territory. What's the difference between inciting and commanding? Uh, did David have a choice if he's incited? Um, you know, these are, these are fun things, and I think it's a little beyond the scope of where we can go today because we're running out of time. But the second reason is God conducted this, David conducted the census in such a way that it actually violated the Torah. Uh, the prescribed methodology for taking a census is described in Exodus 30, verse 12 and 13. It says, when you take a census of the people of Israel, then shall each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them and that there be no plague among you when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel, a shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. So this idea that when you take a census, the people bring a half shekel and then you count the shekels or the half shekels. You don't actually count the people themselves. And the, the Talmud explains that because when you count the people themselves, then you're actually claiming the people themselves as yours. If you're just counting money, then there's this kind of level of once removed distance between the people and the leadership. And so the people, there's no undue claim Of leadership on the people because the people don't belong to leadership they belong to God and so um it's kind of one of those those objects lessons is how they see it they might be reading into it but there might be actually something behind that and in neither Samuel nor Chronicles do we have any mention of this half shekel and so it could be that the problem is David neglected to do the census in the correct manner and this is what brings a plague upon the people, uh, because we're going to find out later that uh, the what happens is uh, the people are going to experience debor or pestilence, which pestilence is used interchangeably in Exodus for plague. so uh, it's a di- plague and pestilence are two different words in the in the Hebrew, but they are used as synonyms okay. and so um, yeah, so it, it's really. Uh, th- there's a lot of questions again, and we're going to leave a lot of um, questions within this. And uh, we're going to kind of go, th- finish going through the story, just kind of give you an idea what's up ahead. We're going to finish going through the story. Then we're going to go back and we're going to connect these stories together, 21 and 24. We're going to look at where they play off of each other, but we're also going to look at the two other stories that they play off of and bring all four stories in together. So uh, you might need to, you know, I don't know, get ready to, to draw your mental pictures or even <laughs> make your timelines because uh, keeping all those threads straight is going to be interesting. But I think it's worthwhile and I think it's beneficial because like we were saying, you know, the, the old Testament really does. It shows us how God has gone out of his way time and time again to draw people into his plan of salvation, extend compassion and say, if you want to be a part of this, here I am. This is where you find me. You find mm-hmm. me in Israel. You find me in this particular space. And if you want to be here, you can be a part of it. Yeah. And I think so often we don't see that. It's not taught in a lot of our—definitely um, not by Bible critics, and it's definitely overlooked a lot of times in a lot of our, our Christian circles. And so I think we need to reclaim the beauty of that, the fact that God is saying there is a space for everyone if you are willing to to come and be a part of my community. And my community functions like this, and so you need to function like this, too.
1: Yeah,
0: it, it's It's not— it's not unreasonable guys (laughs) it's really not so anyway we'll leave it there and then we'll pick up and look at the rest of the story next week uh it's gonna take us a little bit to get through it so
1: yeah i gotta say there's there's a lot of interesting stuff in here and um hopefully hopefully everyone's following and uh (laughs) if you want to be part of the uh whatever conversation we got going on over here hit us up on raven creek sc on all the social media ravencreeksc.com is where you can find uh the website with uh show notes on a lot of this stuff other shows brought to you by the raven creek family and um we got some new stuff coming out um joe just announced uh he and his wife are gonna be doing like a a financial podcast which is gonna be pretty interesting um go check out the trailer over there it's called open wallet uh so <laughs> um hopefully things are going in it i guess um <laughs> <laughs> i hope but uh I'll- yeah it's always better when it goes in i think uh the, <laughs> yeah. the wallet but anyhow that being said uh everyone yeah go check that out and uh in the meantime be part of the conversation and we'll see you next time thank you. bye. bye
0: you've been listening to the faith and other oddities podcast a raven creek social club production don't forget to follow us on facebook twitter and instagram If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on
1: iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.